Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly, and thank you so much for tuning in to another segment of Them Damn Indians. This segment is brought to you by the United Lenape Communities, and I'm thrilled to have, once again, Daniel Strongwalker Thomas. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Excellent, excellent. We've had a great response over our last segment when we talked about corporations posing as indigenous nations, CPAIN mm-hmm. organizations, and uh, we've got some great feedback on that. And one of the things, uh, if you could touch on real quickly, one of the questions that we've received is who are the United Lenape communities? It's a great question. Thank you for asking. So United Lenape communities um, are community members and leaders from all five of the uh, United States and Canadian uh, recognized Lenape nations. And so let me just put that in more detail. I am from the Delaware nation of Anadarko, Oklahoma. And uh, we have created a resolution to combat CPAIN. So I am authorized by my executive council and my um, people to speak on this matter. And then in the strength of unity, understanding that in, in, in a fist, one finger doesn't really do too much, right? It may just point the finger, but it doesn't really do what you need it to do. Um, we approached our immediate cousins uh, and relatives right next door to us, Delaware Tribe of Indians, DTI. Um, and as the community began to talk, we're, you know, we're in the modern technology age, we have chat rooms. So it's really a mixture of all community members who are speaking, giving their opinions and seeing what's going on, asking for action, the people asking for action. And so it was brought upon some leaders to approach the executive councils and say, can we do something? So I and some community members wrote a plan about how we would do this and presented it to the Delaware nation. And that was passed. And then we come to the Delaware tribe of Indians who after being involved uh, preliminary, they already had a resolution that said they will not deal with uh, any CPAIN or any fake CPAIN hadn't been coined as a term yet. Um, And then they passed a resolution appointing uh, Jeremy Johnson, who is of the uh, Delaware tribe of Indians. He's on their council, right? He's uh, doing great work over there. And they appoint Levi Randall, who has done some amazing work and continues to do amazing work in the cultural and and, and, and for the people. Um, So, now that they have resolutions passed, I've recently, it's interesting, and I'm glad you asked this, just this last weekend, I came back from visiting the Stockbridge Muncie uh, Mohican Band in Wisconsin, and I was uh, blessed enough to sit down with their council uh, in Spiriatic. It wasn't full council at one time, but I was able to sit with their vice chairwoman and their, and their president and uh, some of their council members and some of their people to discuss uh, coming together. Um, and that conversation without, you know, forcing the hand of Stockbridge, they are autonomous, they make their own decisions, but it seems as if it's going very well. So now we have two more communities in Canada. So those are three of us coming together. And then when the two in Canada will come, I've just initiated better conversation with Chief Mark Peters of the Delaware uh, Muncie Nation up in Ontario. Uh, and the Stonefish family, of course, will be notified, but their people are already involved. So we wouldn't be visiting these communities and bringing this to them if their people weren't already voicing these opinions. So United Lenape communities, at the end of the day, are a group of concerned, passionate citizens of each one of the five recognized Lenape communities. And just to make that very clear, that is Anadarko, Oklahoma, Bartlettsville, Oklahoma, um, uh, Wisconsin. I'm sorry, I'm, I, I know your town. But, uh, and, and we have Ontario. And two, and two in Ontario. So, Moverian Town, Delaware Nation, Muncie in Ontario, 
Delaware Nation, Anadarko, Oklahoma, and Delaware Tribe of Indians, Bartlesville, Oklahoma. And those are the five United Lenape communities coming together to join forces and to fight for our homelands and to uh, just help everyone understand who's who. Excellent. Thank you so much for addressing that. Now, you said something in there that I want to uh, congratulate y'all on is, is getting your bands to agree to this. Now, do you happen to think that it is the first step to addressing this issue to have our tribal councils and our business committees and things like that, our decision makers? Do you think that this starts with them saying no to CPANs on a legislative level? Yeah, I think what, what oftentimes, and, and this is part of for me, the byproduct of this fight is really the most beautiful part of this fight, and that is our communities coming together, okay? We may disagree on many things, but we can find some things that core that we find in common. And what we're finding is that through resolutions and MOUs, we can say, okay, let's leave everything out. These are the parameters of what we're focused on. And that is the beginning of, the, of everything coming together. It's a perfect storm in the sense that the people and our administration are coming together and, and, and seeing the same issue and agreeing that something needs to be done. And so, yes, um, historically, what's been uh, part of plaguing some Indian country, I only speak for the, what I know, not for everybody, is that the people in the administration aren't always on the same page. There's some rift there. But on this matter, we're finding that the people and the administration are very much of the same mind. And that is the beginning of focusing our combined efforts and power to fight the issue. And, you know, the Lenape communities are so are are spread out, even here in Oklahoma, Anadarko and Bartlesville are on two separate sides of the state. And not to mention your Ontario bands, uh, that's they're in another country. And and so how do you how did you start to put this together to start to talk to both leadership and to the citizens to start to gain support for for and, and awareness for this issue? Well, for me to take any credit for that would honestly be just inappropriate. This work was going on long before I showed up here. Uh, the people, it was known by many names, pretendians, wannabes. It was known by many things until we started to take the idea of focusing strictly on the corporation aspect of it, which has remedies both in court and in legislation, right? So then once we started focusing on that, but before that happened, it was Levi Randall. It was uh, uh, a gentleman by uh, Jacob Chisholm, or, or he was part of my nation. Um, ben Miller. There's so many names, uh, Yeah Johnson, um, Billy Shishe. There's so many names from so many different communities that I, you know, Matthew Putnam. And these are from all different communities that were already in this conversation. And so when I stepped into the conversation or when I was welcomed into the circle that was already going on, that became, we began to say, okay, how do we focus these into an actual actionable plan? And then that's where we are now. So I came in when it became an actionable plan. And since then we're focused on organization and structure, because as you mentioned, we've been separated for over 400 years from each other. Some of us have been closer than others. Uh, some of us speak different languages. We have Muncie, we have um, Yunami, we have, um, we have Mohican, we have so many different dialects. In fact, the Stockbridge Muncie community has seven languages 
just within their one community, which is, you know, they have a deep, rich history. So, so many things such as religion, spirituality have separated us. Right. And, you know, if I may for a moment, just, just, just speak normally, like as just an Indian person, the need to unite our people is weighing really heavy on my heart. There's so much that separates us. And for me, I will jump in the front line and fight sea pain only because I can turn back and smile and see my communities joining each other on the same path. And this is the beginning of something bigger than all of us. And this is why the unification of our bands, as you mentioned, with so much of a distance, vast distance between us is reliant upon technology. So we're grateful for technology at this point, right? And is reliant upon just all the pieces coming together. It's the way we believe, and I personally believe, Creator wants it right now, because this is the time that everything is aligning. The social system is changing. We're in the middle of norm shifts. We're in the middle of uh, different alignments. And it's time. It's time to speak on these things, as I believe your guest um, in, in your Ask a Lawyer segment mentioned, which we were very happy to hear. Oh, yeah, we wanted. Well, and I wanted to talk about it. Uh, there were a couple of things uh, in our last segment uh, with the United Lenape communities that disturbed me. And one of them was nonprofits and the ability to really garner a lot of federal funding as a nonprofit posing as native tribes and as someone who's worked in federal grant programs we know how scarce that money is and we know that the pie doesn't get any bigger the pieces get smaller and so I wanted to talk to uh, our uh, Oklahoma Indian Legal Services Executive Director Stephanie Hudson Uh, she does a show here every week and I wanted to know and get some legal advice on what citizens would do what they need to do, how do we start? And her advice was, you have to start calling it out. When you see it, you have to go to funding agencies, you have to go to professors, you have to go to these different people who are contributing to uh, promoting these organizations. And I wanted to hear your thoughts on that because I think that as natives, we really are, t- are, we just kind of taught to kind of fade in the background a little bit and we're not experienced really at speaking out. So how do those issues uh, come together and how can we as citizens uh, start to speak out and understand what pain organizations are? And, and I'm grateful that the conversation went there because um, when you're in the fight, sometimes you're, you're so close to it, you can't see the larger picture, but to know that the conversation you had, um, and we were very grateful for the attorney who, who was there speaking on this, um, you guys came to the same conclusions that we have. So there's a few points that we have to follow in order for this to be leading up to legislation, okay? And so absolutely calling it out is step one. And so what we've done in an organized fashion is to say, okay, who sponsors these people? Who gives them platform? Who allows them in? And we have found a mixed bag of this, okay? And I give an example. Uh, I won't use names because I think it's appropriate just that the message is heard and not so much the minutia, the detail. And what that is, is someone was out um, running around calling themselves a sachem. Um, claiming connection to us, received 70 acres of land in our homeland as a nonprofit. 
and then was seeking funding for trees and for fruits and vegetables to be given to him to grow there on 70 acres, okay, as a nonprofit. Now, on the outside, looking in without knowing any details, I'm all for trees being planted. I'm all for gardens being grown, okay? Why do you need to create this indigenous? They thought they were giving it to the right people and they just simply weren't, okay? We, didn't, we weren't in time to catch the land. We found out about that after. We're still pursuing that and speaking to people. However, we found out that he was raising more money by these people supporting him and promoting the events. Hey, join on to this webinar. We're going to speak with Sachem so-and-so about their project up here and how you can support by donating. And so we contacted them directly and said, who are you to get involved? in this type of situation. We do not believe allies, if that's who you believe you are, should be involved in the conversation of who is and who is not native. And there is a very clear and defined way to figure out if you are dealing with an indigenous nation or if you're dealing with indigenous people or if you're dealing with sea pain. And the federal government has made it very clear, they make a list <laughs> you all know this. And so we found that educating some of the sponsors has gone one or two ways. One, we realize that they're a lot deeper into this than we thought. They're not allies. In fact, they're in cahoots. In fact, maybe there's some money for their programming. And maybe so there's some other stuff. They apply for grants together. And then in a joint comparison, their program is, 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 is paid, right? Their, their supervisors are paid for the work that they do in the program. So we find that that happens. The other thing that we find is that there are genuinely kind people who really believe they were helping. And once we hear us and we just, it's sort of like, you know, the analogy of if I present you with a, a glass of clean water and then I present you with a glass of muddied water and I allow you to make a choice, you more than likely will go with the clean water because it's easily that that's water, right? Who knows what's in that other thing. When we stand next to sea pain, and we just simply express who we are because our energy has to be positive. Yes, we are talking about something that's affecting us, but this is part of where Indians come in. We don't like to be negative. We don't, maybe we do amongst each other. Like we'll, you know, we'll get into some good tussles amongst each other. But when it comes to the general public, none of us really feel like we have the authority to speak for all Indians once and for all. And we have no authority to speak for our nation. However, I do. I have authority to speak for my nation. And my job is to have my people's voice heard. And they have asked to be heard on CPAIN. And so speaking up is the number one step. Going to sponsors, going to educational institutions, going to other nonprofits, going to institutions that give and explaining to them what's going on. There's a big campaign that we're doing right now on education. And, you know, it becomes that we find that if they continue to do this, for instance, there's a museum in Massachusetts, right? Uh, the Cyrus Dallin Museum. You may know many of his sculptures. Um, they have chosen rather than work with federally recognized nations and, and appoint them to their board and consult with them. They've adopted a CPAIN group and one of their guys who run around calling himself Sachem, they let him go out and speak and they give him platform. At what point do they become a, com a, a, com a complicit um, conspirator in all of this? Now, if we're talking about Corporation One, a museum, right? It's a nonprofit raising funds. We talk about Corporation Two, which is CPAIN. And Corporation One is using CPAIN to raise money. It's using them to go out and speak. It's using them to say that they're working with indigenous communities. It helps their donors go up. It makes them look like they're complying with social norms, okay? But none of that is real. 
they are not working with indigenous people. They're working with another nonprofit. They're working with someone and they enrich themselves. So at what point do real natives step in and have a real issue and someone to hold accountable for that? Well, and, you know, one of the one of the really horrific things about that to me is that museums have a responsibility, especially if they have any kind of dealings with uh, funerary items, anything to do with the tribes. They have a federal responsibility to consult and they have a federal responsibility to consult with the actual tribe and not. um not some outside organization. So to me, the the museum is that's that's a wholly disingenuous thing when they already know the federal standards by which they have to practice and they're they're just completely not doing it. That's right. And so now we're talking about getting into the people who actually make honest mistakes, who could have avoided that and they can admit it. They can say, you know what, I should have done due diligence. This the mistake relies on me. I didn't do that. But then you get into people who know what they're doing, right? They know what they're doing and they're complicit in this and they benefit directly, their institution benefits directly. So the one I'm talking about, the Cyrus Dallin Museum, and yes, I am putting them out there because it needs to be, I'm sorry, that has to be mentioned. Um, they have no funerally, uh, funeral remains. They don't deal with that. It's all sculptures and art, but it was an art from an artist who capitalized on the um, disappearing native noble. You know, in fact, his, he, his statues will, you may know the one sitting on the horse and he's sort of looking up like this uh, and the disappearing noble, but he has on plains, um, you know, uh, headdress and Eastern woodland <laughs> necklace. And he's just a hodgepodge, a Frankenstein of what a true native or native in our communities would have looked like. So he just capitalized on the art. Um, he tried to do some good in his lifetime. I believe he did donate some stuff, but now in continuing his legacy, the museum has totally chosen to go their own way and not just, they, they're creating their own who's who and getting involved in the conversation of who's native, who's not. And okay. is that an ally space? Yeah, okay, so let me ask you this because this is this is a really important part of that too when we're talking about museums. Let's talk about academia. Let's talk about different colleges and universities and these places that, that have uh, professors posing as indigenous citizens. Let's talk about that and, and how academia plays its part in all of this. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, I'm going to read a, a comment from Sarah Boyd, who is a veteran and who is a, a citizen of the Delaware tribe of Indians when it comes to the idea of, of, of sea pain in academia. She says, how inappropriate is it to have people that have not suffered the generational traumas to speak on behalf of the ones who have and are continuously suffering that trauma because it's embedded in our DNA. And that goes to the idea of the Susan Taft Reads, I'll say the name because it's already been out there very, very much publicized, um, who claimed to be Lenape. She claimed to be a part of uh, a Pennsylvania group and became uh, chief of that group somehow. Um, but lo and behold, we do not have any bands in Pennsylvania. Uh, there is no state recognition in Pennsylvania uh, and there are no fed rec nations. Uh, we are the nation of, um, you know, uh, reference in that area. And so she actually got jobs 
in colleges as the head of the indigenous studies department. Um, and she continues to, to write books. Um, and here's the issue that I have. I believe she's a very intelligent woman, okay? Pretending to be native or entering into that aspect did not put her through college. It didn't write her papers, right? I believe she's an intelligent woman. This is possibly an ally who could have done great work in conjunction with the people, but instead chose to envelop this ideal which will unravel for her in her own time and her lifetime. But the damage is the books that they write, they change the narrative and that's dangerous. And this is something that's happened to Indian folks forever. Our stories are being told by colonizers descendants as if they were in first person, as if they were us. So what you'll have is you'll have books written upon um, these C-Pain communities posing as nations, right? You'll have books written all on them, their histories, their stories, and it'll be published by university presses and academic, academic papers are being written and it becomes part of the narrative. So 50 years from now, 100 years from now, when people begin to do research, you'll find that within the conversation. And let me bring that a step further. They know what they're doing. They've been searching for federal recognition for a very long time and they understand that leaving a paper trail of identity and communication will help them in the future. Because part of the reason that many of these nations don't, uh, many of these C-Pain groups, not nations, please excuse my language, many of these C-Pain groups do not get federal recognition because they cannot show that they had a relationship, that anyone knew they existed, that they were together, you know, they weren't enveloped into another nation. And so they know that's their number one lacking. So they then infiltrate academia and they often become professors and, and they specifically focus on indigenous studies and they publish and they write and they begin to create that um, paper trail for future generations or for even people studying them now to become fact. And for, I wonder in that case, who should we hold accountable? Somebody should be held accountable for this. If I were to print a book of nothing but lies, right? And it came back, I would be in trouble, <laughs> right? For sure. I would be in trouble and my publisher for not doing their due diligence would be in trouble. So why is it not happening in academia? And I'll tell you what we would like to happen. And this is an open call to anyone in academia. We would like you to write a paper that honestly looks at this issue, not from our point of view, not from anyone's point of view, from an objective point of view and looks at the situation and begin to bring, write a paper, not a paper for a book, write a paper so academia discusses it. Put it in your journals, allow us to enter that conversation because if you publish something, it starts the conversation. What's happening is we're being flooded with C-Pain representatives and C-Pain members who posing as these natives and we're being flooded with their information and it's just simply wrong. Wrong, Not wrong. just their information, but their lobbyists. Thank they, you. They, they're 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 very organized. And one and one of the things that I, I want to talk about in our last few minutes and, and what it strikes me as is that's how a lot of these and, and on our on our Ask a Lawyer and you can access that wherever you get your podcast uh, on our Ask a Lawyer segment. Uh, we found this flyer that was the Choctaw Apache tribe in Louisiana. And we're like, no. No, just just no, no, for so many reasons. But when you talk about academia and when you talk about people kind of being uh, 
grocery grocery card Indians, I should say, you know, take what you want, leave what you don't and write a paper about it and get and 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 boom, I teach. Therefore, I get to say this. And, and it's my paper because it's my experience. Right. That's right. And then the identity becomes such a thing that no one wants to challenge. OK. And this is where we need to. to this is where they slide under, because. And with all respect to all of my, my brothers and sisters of all colors, okay, if you present yourself as, as black to me, I, I'm never going to question that. You can be light as light, and, and I'm not going to question where it comes from, okay? It's not my role. If you come to me and you tell me you're of Hispanic descent, I accept that. I understand that. But when you come to someone and you say you're native, I think what we all understand is that's a political designation, okay? And so that is different from my racial identity, although it's very closely intertwined and very difficult for people to understand, there needs to be a, a, a process that academia and other institutions go through in order to check that. But we need to make it okay for them, you see? And that's where I believe they're scared. They're scared to say, oh, this, this book is amazing, but can you please provide documentation that you are in fact uh, a Native American? Or you know, can you please help with that? How dare you say that, right? Just imagine how that institution and imagine how that feels. So part of this, this combat, part of this fight, this war party is about re-educating institutions, making it okay for them to ask, creating the situation and space where it is okay. How do they ask? What process did you go through? And the interesting part of all this is, which, which hurts my heart, is they already know because when they apply for federal funding for their indigenous students, there's already a process that they have to go through to ensure that that student is Native American unless they're going after, you know, um, uh, grants that are not from the government. Maybe they're private institutions and often the private institutions, which again, we talk about endowments, but, that, but even, even endowments, that limited like that, I mean, yeah, you talk about the money. And if there is, is an endowment or, you know, a foundation that decides that they want to uh, support and benefit a C-Pain organization on a campus, on a college campus. I mean, what, what, what kind, how do we then start to handle that? Because you're right, this, this is all, it's a huge issue. And I'm glad I'm, I'm learning more about it because the, it, it's so, it goes so deep. It does. This is a deep one and I'm grateful that we have the opportunity to, to explain what's going on. And that's why six segments is something that I think was important because this isn't something that can just be talked about in one conversation, because as you say, it's so deep and multifaceted, um, but we have to get to the root of it. And at the end of the day, my nation and others firmly believe that legislation is the way. Um, and this is why we have to unite the five Lenape communities, but that's just the beginning that allows us to fight what we're facing, but now we need to communicate that the C-Pain issue is an issue to all federal recognized nations. It affects us all in some way, shape or form and do not hand this issue to your grandchildren. Let's talk about it now. We are a, a people who look forward to the next seven or 14 or more generations, right? And so knowing that, is this fight something that you're comfortable handing off to your grandchildren? Look at them babies playing. Do you want them to grow up fighting for their identity in this way? Or would you like to be part of the solution that helps legislation be expressed, written, and passed to ensure that their future and heritage and uh, identity will be protected? 
Now, with legislation, real quick, do you mean legislation on a federal level or do you mean legislation on a tribal level or both? I think both. So first, what's, what we're seeing is that one nation needs to understand how this affects them, pass a resolution for themselves within their communities, right? And what we've also been seeking is MOUs between nations. For instance, we're an Eastern Woodland nation. There are some nations that are already established and still in the Eastern Woodlands, the Wampanoag people. We have the Shinnecock people, you know, and, and there's others, the Narragansett people and out there. And so having an MOU between our nations, uh, not to say, not to imply that they've already signed anything. I want to make it very clear that there isn't one in place now. I know how communication can get, so no disrespect intended, but there is intentions and conversation on a table of an MOU between our communities and saying, we understand that you have C-Pain issues. We don't want to work with them. We want to make sure that we are only dealing with the true Wampanoag or, or true Shinnecock or whoever. And in order to do that, let's communicate and figure out how, if someone presents themselves as part of your nation to us, how we can check with you and have this good way of each other working together. And that's it. We don't want to get into an MOU that we work together on everything, just in these specific things we can agree on, right? And then that becomes uh, unified. So the internal tribe passes some sort of resolution that says they do not deal with C-Pain, right? And then they have an MOU that says this is how they will deal to ensure that they don't fall victim to C-Pain. And then when tribal communities come together, we look at each other and we say, now we have the political push and power to push for federal legislation. And so... The most important part of that to me, and that becomes over my head, President Deborah Dodson and our executive uh, uh, council can all handle that. I'm sure they'll get advice from the people and I'm sure it'll become a community process. But I believe that when you get on that point and having all nations have a voice in that, it matters because if we have legislation and it leaves out tribes that just weren't involved in the conversation somehow, we miss a key point, we may actually damage uh, Indian country. So we need to have voices at this table while we talk about federal legislation, because it affects all of us. That's right. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we're the damn Indians, of course. And we're sitting here with Daniel Strongwalker Thomas, educating us, giving us the business on C-Pain. That's corporations posing as indigenous nations. It's a fascinating topic. And I'm glad that we're able to learn about it because we do need to talk about it and continue this very important discussion. This segment of Them Damn Indians is brought to you by the United Lenape Communities. And uh, we will get you back in our next segment. So thank you to Daniel Strongwalker Thomas. And we'll catch you back here again. Thank you so much. We're indigenous, we're independent, and we're the damn Indians at Talk Jive Radio.